Uh, if you don't have a Bible, this would be a great Sunday to have a Bible. So elders, or, I mean, elders, ushers, <laughs> your job description jumped. Uh, ushers, <laughs> please hand out Bibles. Raise your hand if you need one and grab a Bible. And also, I need a couple things. Uh, I need two male volunteers. Two male volunteers. Here we go. And uh, I need one more. One more male volunteer. Uh, let's see. Let's see. I'm being particular. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Calvin, come over here. All right. His son's grabbing his hand going, come on, Dad. So come on up. Come on up. Now, I, I, need, I have a couple things I need to do. Um, so first, so why don't you, you guys, everyone stand and greet each other, and I'll be right back. Okay? Okay. You can just sit right here. Yep. All right. All right. All right. All right. He came dressed like that. I can't. It's like he knew. Hey, before we get into this, let's just say a word of prayer. Father in heaven, uh, God, we come before you. Uh, we're just anxious to hear from you, God. We want to hear. We want to hear your word this morning, Lord. God, there's you know we're, we're running all the time. We got so much on our minds. We got so much in our hearts and our heads and. And there's so many messages coming at us, God, and we just deeply want to hear directly from you, Lord. So God, speak to us this morning, Lord. Put your finger on that stuff in our heart that needs to go. Lord, we pray that even though it might hurt, even though it might be painful, Lord, we just pray that you would put your finger on the stuff that needs to go in our life. And that you would replace it, God, with your heart, with your character. Spirit, move and speak to us this morning in a powerful and a profound way. Jesus, we just say that you have reign over this ent entire room and this entire morning. We just pray you'd use it for your name. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, turn to Genesis 25. And this morning we're going to be talking about two boys. Uh, there's Isaac and Rebecca, and they have these two boys. So 
Genesis 25, verse 27. 25, verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter. Esau, come on out. A man of the open country. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Now Isaac, their father, had a taste for wild game, so he loved Esau. While Rebekah loved the younger son, Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished, and he said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. Okay, don't give it to him yet, hold on. And that is why he's called Edom. Now pause. Perfect. <laughs> that is why he's called Edom. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on in this story. This story is written in Hebrew, and there's all this, this stuff going on. I'm going to show it to you, kind of a word play going on. In, in this part, he says, Jacob, quick, give me some of that red stew. If you look in the, in the Hebrew, it says this. It actually says, ha-adam, ha-adam, the red, the red. Give me some of that, the red, the red. Ha-adam, ha-adam. Now, hold on, just pause, you're good. Now, next slide. So, Adam in Hebrew means red, okay? And Dom means blood. So you can see how the two words are kind of related, right? And then there's Adama, which means ground. It's kind of this red ground. And, and back in this time, in Genesis, written, they're, they're, in, they're on this ground that's kind of red and loose. So all this connection is going on. And then there's, there's Adam, Right? So Adam, kind of part of the word ground, it's like when God named Adam, he's like, I'm going to make sure you're humble by reminding you where you came from, the ground, the dust. It's almost, it's kind of like if Adam was named Claude, right? So then it says in here, it says that this is why, uh, this is why Esau was also called Edom, because of the red, the red. He also had red hair. But also he was so, he looked at this red stuff and was like, I need to have this red stuff, this red stuff. Ha-adam, ha-adam. Now, here's the deal. With this red stuff, the ancients believed that there was like life in the blood. It was like in red, in the blood, there was life, like this mystical power. So when they saw the red stuff, they're like, give me some of that. I want some of that red stuff, that life. And they still believe that today, that that there's like this mystical substance in the blood. The blood has life in it. Okay? Let's continue our story. So Jacob looked up to Esau and replied, first sell me your birthright. First sell me your birthright. <laughs> and Esau said, look, I'm about to die. Look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. Swear to me. So Esau swore an oath to him. How do you do that? Good. Okay. Cross my heart, hope to die. Is it? Yeah, stick my needle eye. Okay. Right. <laughs> so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. Mmm, lentil. Mmm, mmm, lentils. Mmm, right? Lentil bars. Lentil ice cream. Mmm, lentil. 
Lentil steak, mmm. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Thank you, thank you, you're done, thank you, thank you. A masterful show, that was fantastic. Lentils, he, he, he despised his birthright. Now, let's, let's talk about the birthright a little bit. You're, some of you are like, birthright, whatever, what, what is that? The birthright is this. First of all, they're in this communal, nomadic tribe, okay? And, and Jacob and Esau are part of this, and when they live, they live in tents, and their cousins live next door, and their family, they're, like, they're with their entire family, and, and the birthright was like, the, it represented the family. It was like part of the bloodline. It was like, it was, it was taking that which was all of your family and carrying it with you. It was symbolic of everything that your family stood for and was. And so, you know, that, that was, it was a, a very, very precious and important thing in that culture. And, you know, it, w- it was often given to the next, so that they would continue on the bloodline, and continue on the last name, continue on the family tradition. But also, there wasn't a lot of people in the world this time, so it was just also basically for the survival of human beings. You know, earlier in Genesis, it talks about um, to... Uh, to, uh, to, to multiply, and, to, and that was a command of God. The second thing is this. The birthright entitled you to a double portion of all of your father's wealth. So your family would work hard and, and have all this wealth and all this stuff, and the birthright was you were given this like double portion of all this stuff. It also had a spiritual dimension to it because it also represented your relationship with God. So the birthright was a part of that as well. It was like, it, it, was, it was carrying on your family's relationship with God. It was very, very important. So it, when, Esau, when Esau comes in and he's like, I'm so hungry, give me some of that red stuff, that red stuff. And Jacob's like, well, sell me your birthright. And he's like, oh, whatever, take the birthright, I'm hungry. He trades this beautiful thing for a bowl of soup, red soup, lentils. Right? And so the, the, the commentators, if you read about this, like the ancient Jewish commentators are like, they just nail him. They're like, what is this guy thinking? This is so rude. This is vile. This is, this is awful that he trades everything he could be for a momentary craving. Esau trades everything he could be for a quick hit everything he could be for a momentary craving. There was just something he really kind of wanted, and he, he gave away this really, really valuable thing for this momentary craving. I'm glad we're not like that anymore. <laughs> uh, th- what? Who does that? The Bible's weird. No, it's, this is our story, isn't it? And I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about your destiny, your birthright, your role in the kingdom. These, these days we've been focusing on the kingdom. And as Christians, we are children of God, and we have a birthright. And this birthright is this place, this role in the kingdom that God has for us. So let's, let's dive into it. I want to show you a couple things. Turn your Bibles to the right, not too far, to Exodus chapter 3. And here we're going to find Moses. And at this time, as you remember— the Israelites, the, the people of God, are under slavery in 
Egypt under Pharaoh. And so God comes to Moses and says, hey, I see all my people. They're in slavery. I don't like it. I'm going to send you, Moses, to go and save these people. I'm going to send you, Moses, on this mission to save an entire nation of people. And so in verse 11, chapter 3, Exodus 3, verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God's like, I want to bring, I want to have you come and save this entire people. And Moses is like, who am I? Who am I to do this? Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 10. And they argue back and forth. They're arguing back and forth throughout this whole passage here. And then Moses says to the Lord in verse 10, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. God's like, I want to use you. I want to take you. You're going to go in, and you're going to free all these people from Pharaoh, and I'm going to be with you, and, and you're going to see signs and wonders and power. And, all this. and Moses is like, but i got to see minus in public speaking. He's making up these excuses. Turn to the right to Judges chapter 6. And Gideon, these same people are in trouble again. They're in slavery. And God comes to, to Gideon this time. Judges chapter 6, we'll start with 14. So these people are in, are in trouble again. And the Lord comes to Gideon and says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. So God comes to Moses and says, I got these huge plans for you. And Moses is like, well, who am I? I can't even speak. And then he goes to Gideon, and he's like, Gideon, go save these people. And Gideon's like, have you seen my brothers? We're pathetic. Turn to the right to Jeremiah chapter 1. You've got to go way past... Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And here, God is coming to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is writing about what he experiences in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me, saying this. The Lord said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. So God goes to Moses. Moses has got these big plans. Moses is like, I can't, I, just, who am, I can't do, who am I? And he goes to Gideon. He's like, Gideon, he's like, I'm a loser. And then he goes to, to Jeremiah, and he's like, I, I, before I knew you, I had this big plan for you. And he's like, I'm just too young. Don't you get the feeling that God's like, can I get a guy who's just not whiny? <laughs> this, like, this goes over and over and over again. Now, in these last days, we've been talking about Matthew 13. So go ahead and turn now all the way to the right to Matthew 13. Paul has been taking us through these various parables that Jesus talks about, like the parable of the sower and the parable of the weeds and the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast— and the hidden treasure and the pearl. He's been talking about all these things. Now, he started this 
sometime in July, and I, I was doing this study on Matthew 13, kind of looking through this, and um, I saw this section in there, and I, I didn't really know what, I, I want to get what it was all about. And it's, it's actually Matthew 13, verse 13. And the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, why are you talking in all these parables? Why are you talking to the people in these parables here? And Jesus kind of, he, he, he says, um, this is why I speak to them in parables. And he goes into this quote from Isaiah. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will, ever be, ever, you will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, it was kind of bothering me. Why does Jesus quote this when he's asked the question, why are you talking to him in parables? Well, there's one thing you need to learn about when Jesus talks and when he quotes Scripture in particular. Oftentimes he does this thing where he quotes a particular passage— but he doesn't quote the whole thing, and, that, and, and that's actually really important because if you read the rest of the passage that he's quoting, you start, things start to click. It's almost as if Jesus is he's like saying this verse that he knows all of his hearers understand, but then he stops short, and the rest of them go, oh. Some of them, oh, I know where you're going. I see where you're going here. So, what, what was going on here? What, what, what's the deal here? So if you actually, just, you don't have to turn this, but if you actually go back to Isaiah 6, where Jesus is quoting, you can kind of see what's going on. So in Isaiah 6, he says this whole thing. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll ever see and perceive, right? But then the next thing, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 6. He said, how long, O Lord, should I say this to the people? And God said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. Next slide. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Now here's what's going on. Isaiah is saying, because the people have closed their ears and calloused their hearts, because the Israelites have closed their ears to what God has for them, he's got these huge plans to be the light of the world, and they've closed their ears, God is bringing judgment on the Israelites so that they are, will hear less and less and less, and they will be pruned and pruned and pruned, and the great oaks will be chopped until there's only a stump remaining. But the last line, the holy seed is its stump. So when Jesus talks about the parable of the sower and he's throwing seed, he's not just picking some random illustration that, that he, they'd understand because they're farmers. He's thinking of Isaiah 6. He's thinking of Isaiah's prophecy from like 700 years ago that's taking place in him, that there's this remnant, this it, God is coming down, down to the stump. And ultimately, Jesus will take on this judgment himself on the cross until finally, boom, rock bottom. And at that moment, in that stump, comes the seed, the sprout, resurrection. And moving forward from there, the kingdom of God spreads as, it, as the seed goes out. So this is the picture Jesus has. This is why he's, he's quoting. This is, this is why he's talking in parables. 
He's thinking about Isaiah 6. Now, when we talk about these parables, he's, Jesus is talking about the process of the seed going out and then hitting the path and then dying and then, you know, hitting the thorns. This is about the heart. This is about your heart being soft so that when the seed, this holy seed comes out and, and comes to you, will your heart receive it? Will it take roots in your life? Or will you die? Will, 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 this root, will the seed die? It's about the heart. It's about having a kingdom heart. And then, there's the, last week, Paul talked about the parable of the treasure and the, the, uh, and the pearl. If you haven't heard it, get it go, go download it from the website. Go to iTunes, get it. Listen to it. It's really good. It's great. And he, Paul makes, Paul makes this, um, this illustration of like, imagine back in the 70s, if you knew about Microsoft and how successful it would be, right? Remember this? And he said, if, if, if you knew about Microsoft and you, and you heard about it as a startup and you could get it on the ground floor, you would sell everything to get into that, wouldn't you? Because you know in 20 years, man, I mean, it just, your investment would just explode. And so it's this picture of like the kingdom is like seeing this beautiful thing, seeing it for what it is, for how valuable it is, and selling everything to get it. Selling everything to get it. This is a picture of self-denial. This is what it's like when you see a bigger vision and you let go of everything else. Esau, what he did is the reverse, right? He took the bowl of red stuff and traded in his birthright for it. He took, he did, like did the reverse. But self-denial is selling everything, all the junk in your life, all the stuff in your life, you know, making your, your heart so it's soft so the seed can come in so that you can gain the treasure, this precious pearl. And that's what, this, that's what it's all about. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, you know, we, we could look at this Esau story with, um, with him going and taking the bull instead of the birthright. Now, we could, in our minds, go, okay, so what do I learn from this? Uh, okay, here's the rule. Never, ever, ever take a bowl of red stuff for the birthright. There. Now I won't get in trouble. No! That's what the Pharisees thought. They're like, they, they try to put the law on people and say, do this, do this, do this. Change your behavior. Become more like Christ by just changing your behavior. But God is not after that. When, when Jesus says to the Pharisees, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. It's about having a kind of heart, the kind of heart that if you were in this situation where you're really, really hungry, where you're just, you see this red stuff, this really attractive stuff, you, you're, that you become the kind of person that you would never, ever, ever trade your birthright for a bowl of red stuff. That's what God is after, that you become the kind of person who would never, ever do that. That your wants... And your desires are in alignment with God. Perfectly in alignment with God. And anything that gets in the way, you sell it. You, you get rid of it. You sell it. You want your alignment with God to be right there. And here's the thing. When you get to that point where it's like, when your alignment with God and your desires and your heart are lined up with him, you can do what you want. You can do what you want and please God. 
The question is, what do you want, right? That, that's the key thing. What do you want? When you get that right, when you align that with God, there's this freedom to do whatever you want. And it brings life. But sin, sin causes, takes us to the bowl. Sin makes us the kind of person that when we have this desire, this impulse, we take it instead and, and trade in this most beautiful thing for it. God has so much planned for us, but our hard hearts, our sinful hearts, our, our hearts that are so deceitful, keep us from attaining what he has for us. In Matthew 23, if you turn to the right, verse 37, um, throughout the whole scriptures, and in, in, in Isaiah as well, like God is calling the people of God, the Israelites, to be the light of the world, to show the world what God is really like. And he's constantly calling them to, to do that, to show the world, show the Gentiles in particular, like what the, what the God of the universe is like. And so here, in Matthew 23, 27, Jesus says this, I'm, I'm sorry, 37, verse 37. He says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you. God just sent prophet after prophet trying to call them to be the people that he wanted them to be. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chick under her wings, and you were not willing. Can you hear, like, God's ache, his heart to say, don't sell out. Don't settle. You were made for so much more than this. I have so much for you, and it's breaking my heart that you're choosing a bowl of red stuff over what I have for you. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Colossians 3. And uh, I, I've, I just love this chapter. Let's turn to that, if you could, to the right. Um, it, I just, I think it's a fantastic picture of, of um, spiritual formation, transformation in our life. And here in Colossians 3, Paul is talking about putting to death the things in our hearts so that the seed can come in, so that we can begin to choose God's birthright, choose his kingdom for us, and to put to death the things that get in the way. So, chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. These are the things that are in your bowl. You used to walk in these things in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its, in the image of its creator. So here Paul's saying, you have this old nature, this stuff in your heart, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, 
anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. And he's like, kill it. He doesn't say manage it, try to get it under control. He says, put it to death. Put it to death. This is about having a kingdom heart. This is about having a heart that is aligned with God's heart. Where our desires and our wants and our dreams are in alignment with what God wants and dreams. This isn't about behavior modification, about just changing, okay, I'm just going to stop doing these things. No, no, this is about becoming a different type of person. A deep transformation. Let's look at Hebrews 12. Go to the right. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Verse 16, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Hebrews 12, 16 calls Esau godless. But balos is like the Greek word, and it means like to profane, to be profane. Basically, it's this. In the Jewish mindset, it's kind of split. You got the sacred, and then you have the secular, okay? The temple is the sacred, right? This is all that all revolves around the temple. This is sacred. And then over here, you have the secular, and this is like your everyday life, this separation. So when Hebrews says that Esau was godless, it was like Esau was taking what was sacred and bringing it into and treating it like it was common. And so we do this a lot. Like we take very sacred things like sex. We take sex and we, and we, this very sacred thing and we just kick it around in the dirt. And we talk about it like it's just common. Right? But it's this sacred thing. And so when we profane, we commit the sin of Esau. We, we act as if our actions have no real consequences. Have no real, you know, it's just whatever. Big deal. Birthright. No big deal. It's when we treat the sacred stuff and we profane it by just kicking it around. The kingdom stuff. Oh yeah, being compassionate and loving. No, these are sacred things. Sacred things. And this is what Hebrews talks about. So, maybe it's like this. You know, Paul talks about the, the temple you know, that we are the temple, like, like the Spirit of God dwells in us, so that basically now our flesh and our blood become a sacred zone. 
You know, when Jesus died on the cross, like, the, the, the temple split in two, so now not only a few individuals could be a part of the presence of God, but everyone could enter into the presence of God. So now flesh and blood and daily life is sacred, and, and we aren't to profane it. So Esau, let me, let me show you this in the story. Esau runs in. He sees the red stuff. He's like, he's like I got to have it. I got to have it. I, I see this red stuff. It's going to give me life. And then Jacob hands it to him, and it's lentils. It's lentils. It's like when she wakes up in the morning and she rolls over and she sees the guy she just slept with after partying all night and she looks and sees him and goes, lentils. It's just lentils. And now I feel lonelier than ever. Or it's the guy that he, he bought the thing he always wanted and he goes into the, you know, and then a few months later he goes in the garage and opens the garage and he sees it and he goes, how much am I paying per month for this thing? It's, it's lentils. Or it's like, I, you know, you go in your closet and you're like, you just, I just got this brand new shirt and it's perfectly cut. And I, when I put it on, I just feel like, oh, I feel alive. I feel great. Right? But then you walk in, you go, how much did I pay for this shirt? It's lentils. It's lentils. Or maybe you find yourself at home and you're eating and you eat and you eat and, and all of a sudden you ate the whole box. And it's the family size. And you're looking around. <laughs> you're, you're looking around and you're like, I don't see, see anybody else. It was me. Who did this? And it's like something takes control over you and there's like maybe... For some of us, like a pattern of binging and purging, and you're like, where does this come from? It's like our desires and our heart gets all messed up and bent. Or it's when you return to that site, that website, and that for a moment there's like this, you know, excitement, but then after you're done, it's like lentils. It's like, what? What, why did I return here again? Lentils. Luke 9, 23, I have it on the slide here. Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. Now, one word I want to point out here is daily. I mean, Jesus, this isn't about like, in sixth grade, I took up my cross and followed Jesus. You know, I signed the card, I came forward, I did the thing at trolley camp, and no, this is daily. Take up your cross daily. This is daily surrender. I, I give in. I gave in yesterday. I, I gave in this morning. I, I'll probably give in tomorrow. I, gotta, I, I need to take up my cross daily and surrender my desires that are against God, against his kingdom and stop taking the bull and, and live for the birthright. Live for what God has for me, the greater calling. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So, if you say, I, I'll do that tomorrow. I, you know, I'll take up my cross daily tomorrow. And you say that over and over again. I think some of us get caught in this rut. 
Well, if you always say, I'm going to do it tomorrow, if it's always tomorrow, then it's always going to be tomorrow. And it'll never come. And then eventually, you will get to a point in your life where you look back, and you see, you'll see that the summation of your life is chasing one craving after the other. One craving after the other. And all of a sudden you look back and go, that is the sum of my life. Is I just sought after all these little desires. And there was no overriding birthright, no overriding kingdom story, whatever you want to call it, meta-narrative, whatever. There was no overriding thing that I was a part of. So, this morning, I'm going to ask you a question. What is in your bowl? What is in your bowl? Maybe you want to take this bowl right now. And I want to take a moment in reflection, quiet reflection, and I want to ask the Spirit to put his finger on where we are despising our birthright. What is in the bowl that we're putting before God? What sin, what desires, what pattern? What are the things that God is calling you to get rid of this morning so that your heart can become soft and the kingdom can take root? I want you to write those things in the inside of your bowl. And if, if you're kind of afraid to write something because you want, don't want people to see it around you, just maybe write a symbol or a letter or something to kind of just, between you and God, you know. Here's, yeah. So let me just pray for us right now, and I'm going to, Craig's going to play a little bit, and we're just going to, I just want us to reflect. Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd come, and you'd take your finger, and you'd put it on that one thing or that group of things that, that is our red stuff, the stuff that we are trading, the most valuable thing, the birthright, the calling. We're trading it for this, for lentils. Holy Spirit, do that right now. So right now, as the, as the Spirit leads, just, just write. We'll just take a few moments and, and as Craig plays. and. those things that you're trading, those things that God wants you to sell so that you can obtain the treasure, the pearl? What are those things that are causing your heart to be hard? I've noticed that when people have these desires that are kind of against God, their hearts become hard. What are those things that you need to get rid of that would soften your heart? What are the lies that you're being told that you need, that's in your bowl you need to get rid of? God's word is truth, and when that truth comes in you, it's, that's, that's the truth that sets you free. Jesus, Jesus calls us to abide in him.
you, if you have more to write, just continue to write. I want to ask then this next question. What does God want you to receive in your heart? Like, what are the characteristics, the attributes, the, the parts of you that God wants you to receive in your heart? What, what are the aspects of his character that he wants to build into your heart? Maybe there's, maybe there's some stuff in your heart that you used to have, and it's kind of faded away. And God wants to redeem it. He wants to bring it back. Write those things on the outside, maybe the bottom of the bowl. What are some of the things that God, you, that you sense that God is calling you to say, I want to amplify this in your life, or I want to I put this into your character for the first time. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak now and you would guide our, our pen and you would put words into our mind, verses that would, that would show us what you want to do in our hearts, what you want to put in, what you want us to receive or redeem. And as you write, um, I, have a, I have a couple of mics here up front, and this is kind of a, maybe a weird thing, but I think it would be so encouraging for the church to hear maybe what God's speaking to you. So if, you, if there's something in your bowl that, that you could share with all of us, or maybe on the, in the inside or the outside, and maybe you would say it this way, like if you go to the next slide, maybe you would say, God wants me to reject and then say what it is. Or God wants me to embrace and then say what it is. If you sense that God's calling you that, to share this with the church, just, just a few moments, just come up to the, one of these mics and just say, God wants me to reject and then say what it is. You don't have to say both. You can maybe just say one. me to reject um, my desire for an easy, um, good life, um, and to desire him above anything else. My life might not be easy, my night, I might not have a lot of money, I might not have a good house, but if I have him, that's all I need, and that's what he wants for me. God wants me to reject um, being angry and being a victim to uh, my earthly dad. And, um, and he wants me to embrace joy. God wants me to reject alcohol and to be sober. future, um, my marriage, the control I think I have over um, fear, um, anxiety, um, the control that I think I have over um, things in my life. I just uh, re reject them. 
and I, I put my faith and my trust in God and the control that he has over all those things, not the control I have. Um, and the freedom that I know that that brings. And I just uh, pray that that would continue to grow. God wants, wants me to reject doubt. God wants me to embrace faith. God, I pray that God will help me reject the thing, thinking that I am superior to others and give me a more humble heart. Mm. So I can be kinder to my housemates. Amen. God wants me to just reject all fear of just the things of this world that's just crap. He wants me just to embrace his love and just embrace his heart and wherever that he wants to lead me and guide me. He just wants me to embrace him. He is bigger than all things, all things of this world. We have time for maybe just a couple more. final thing in Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 it says this let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom I want you to look at that word admonish the word admonish means to lovingly tell someone the truth And it's my prayer that in this church that we would have relationships built on Christ, healthy, loving relationships that where we could tell each other the truth, where we could say, hey, you're trading in something very valuable for something not very valuable. And I have people in my life that will come up to me and say, you're better than that. You're better than that. You were made for more than that. You're you're falling short here. And, And... and I think a big, a big part of church life here at Chapel Hill is that we would develop relationships with small groups or friends, whatever, so that we can get rid of these things in our bowl. Because a lot of these things we can't do on our own, like by ourselves. We need to be a part of a community where we admonish each other and we help each other through these things in love and grace. So I would encourage you to that end. And if, if you want to get rid of some of these things, some of it you're not going to be able to get rid of by yourself. Some of it you're going to have to seek out people to hold you accountable, to admonish you in love.
So let's pray, and then the ushers will come forward, and we'll give our tithes and offerings. Lord, we just thank you for your love. We thank you that you accept us with all the stuff, Lord. And I pray, God, that as we seek to remove the things that are substandard to your kingdom and to what you have for us, God, that there would just be this enormous freedom that we would be changed from the inside out, God, that we would come to know what your birthright is for us, Lord, that we would come to know what your kingdom is for us, that we would sell everything, sell the farm, sell it all to obtain this treasure. Lord, align our hearts, align our desires, align our spirit, align our whole being, our body, our mind, our thoughts, our emotions with you, God. And put your finger on the things that needs to go. Lord, we love you, and we just give you the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. The ushers will come forward.